Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of A Guy and a Girl Talk Sports where we are a guy and a girl who just really love to talk all things sports or interview people who love sports too. So if you love sports, make sure you're tuning in every Monday and every Thursday for a new episode of A Guy and a Girl Talk Sports. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you guys are, we hope you're doing fantastic. And if you wouldn't mind, leave a rating, leave a review, and subscribe so you can get the latest and greatest when we post. And if you want a little daily fix of a guy and a girl talk sports, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. They are all GG Talk Sports. All right, so let's get into our highlights, our GG of the episode, and then we're going to jump into our topic, which is all things NFL, because the NFL is coming back. So crazy that it's going to be week one of the NFL season. So we're going to get into our first highlight, and that is NHL. So the Dallas Stars are up 1-0 on the Vegas Golden Knights. The Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders are about to start their series. This has been a crazy playoffs. The last round, there were three game sevens, which is nuts. And it also maybe could be a potential advantage for Tampa Bay, who only had a five-game series going into their series against the New York Islanders. But either way, it's been fantastic. Steph, what have you think so far about the NHL? I agree. I think it's been extremely entertaining. I do think it's funny because on our last episode, we came on here saying every series is, I believe it was 3-1 at the time, and then so many of the series actually ended up going to a Game 7. So I thought that was really funny. Um, But now we are down to only four teams. So I'm excited to see kind of who comes out of this and is actually in the series for the Stanley Cup. So moving on, the U.S. Open has been going on. If you guys have not been watching any tennis, you should definitely tune in because it's been really fun to watch. Also, I learned something new. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But to start off, I want to talk about a really cool thing that the U.S. Open did for the Black Lives Movement and the Black Lives Matter movement, and that is chair art. So, Steph, do you want to kind of share what they did? Yeah, so basically they had a, I guess, I can't remember how many it actually was, but maybe like 16 or however many it was, um, African-American artists. And they all created basically a seat filler. So I think their line was that they were bringing Black Lives back to the front, to the forefront, um, and making sure that there's attention drawn to it. So it's really cool to see. It's actually in the stands. Obviously, there's no fans in the stands. So it's these really cool, like 16-ish pieces of art that are actually so beautiful and they're in the seats back behind the players and it's really cool to see and I'm really impressed with them for having done something to show support. Yeah, if you guys want to take a look at it, go check out our Instagram or our Twitter. We shared a photo of both. It is GG Talk Sports. It was really cool, really impactful, really moving and it's something that anybody can do. Any sports organization could do this to spread awareness and spread a message. So really cool, really um, just unique by the U.S. Open. Yeah, that is a really good idea for sure. I want to move on, though, because I want to talk about the U.S. Women's Open, and then I want to talk about the U.S. Men's Open. Yeah. So to start off with the women's, this has been incredibly competitive. Yeah, it has been super competitive because less impactful players withdrew from the tournament on the women's side. I would obviously say on the men's side, two of the biggest names um, obviously opted out. So I think on the women's side, it's And now three. Yeah. Yeah, true. I I think on the women's side, it still stayed super competitive. So you have a lot of your really big names. I think there's also a lot of like young up and comers who are actually making a big impact too. So you have your Serena's of the world, but then you also have like your Kinnons of the world who won the Australian Open this year. She's only 21. Um, you have just a lot of talent and it's been very competitive. Yeah, I think Coco Golf comes to mind for me. She lost. Yes, I know. But also she is still an incredibly young, gifted talent. So it has been really fun to watch, really been exciting. Do you have a favorite for the U.S. women's to win? 
Ooh, I don't think I have a favorite at this point just because, I mean, I think Osaka is still probably my favorite to win it, but obviously she has had that, like, hamstring injury. I don't think it's really affected her too much, but maybe if she has too many long matches, it could have an impact. Um, but at this point, I think she's probably still my favorite, but it's harder to bet against Serena because we saw her play a really strong comeback match against Sloane Stevens, which showed her Serena-ness, if you will. All right, and now moving on to the men's spectrum of things, what do you think about everything that's been going on in that world? Do you think it's been just as competitive, just as fun? Because, like you said, I mean, two of the biggest names in Rafael Nadal and Federer, Roger Federer, withdrew from this tournament due to COVID, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, they withdrew. So what do you think? I still think it's as competitive. I actually think it's probably more competitive because you don't have two to three players just coming through, like, sweeping everybody. Um, so I think it's probably a little bit more competitive. Same sort of, like, um, overarching theme on the men's side, too, is there's a ton of really young talent who are actually getting a chance to potentially win their first Grand Slam because there's so many of the big names out of the tournament. So there's a lot of, like, really young players like Shapovalov, who is from Canada. He's looking really good. Um, obviously, you have Dominic Team, who has been up there amongst the ranks for quite a long time, but hasn't been able to break through against, like, the top three. I mean, Karina Busta. Yeah. Don't forget he, about him. He now won by default. Zverev. So. Don't forget about him. There's a lot of really good talent, um, so I think it's actually been really fun to watch, and we'll just kind of see who ends up being able to pull it out, because I believe most likely it'll be somebody who hasn't ever won a major before, so it'll be fun. I was going to ask you, so we'll get more into Novak Djokovic's situation, kind of what happened with that, but I want to ask you right now, who do you think is a favorite to win for the men's side? Personally, I'm going to go with Zverev. I'm a big fan of his, and I think that the fact of the matter is he just loves the game. You can tell. He goes to almost every single tennis match that is being played right now in the U.S. Open. Extremely talented. He's been around the sport. He's been around those big moments. So I think that he's poised to take the next step, hopefully. Yeah, I think he has a really good chance. I think that Dominic Team still has a really yeah. good chance because he's made it to several finals. So I think I might go with him as being the favorite. But once again, I think it's really anybody's game at this point. True. And not to mention he pushed your favorite player, not to mention maybe your favorite athlete of all time, to one of the greatest matches I think I've personally ever watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who won? Oh, for sure. Nato. Yeah. 100%. All right. So moving on, we're going to jump into college sports for a little bit. I want to talk about a few things that have been going on in the college sports world. We had college football return, and I, I want to talk about this for a little bit because I've seen a lot of people saying things that like, well, you can't be excited that college football is returning if you don't think it should return and all this and that. And so I just want to have a little discussion between us, yeah. kind of share our opinions, our thoughts and all the above. Yeah, so I think it's a very interesting perspective. There have been people who said you can't agree with what the Big Ten did, but then at the same time be excited for the conferences who are coming back. And I get the theory, but I also think that we can disagree with a decision, but still think that it's exciting to watch sports. I mean, I think that those two things can go hand in hand. So I don't necessarily agree that we should have college sports because I think what the Big Ten did was the right thing. Do I think that they maybe jumped to a conclusion before having a ton of info in front of them? I think that is true. But I also do think that the piece that everybody is just forgetting a little bit are the potential long-term effects of having yeah. coronavirus. And so I just think that that piece itself is probably enough in my eyes to not play sports. I get it can affect a ton of people's livelihoods, and I don't necessarily know how you can weigh those things in priority, but 
I just think that it is such a hard decision. But if I see college football on the TV, am I not going to watch it? I mean, no. Yeah, <laughs> Still no. going to turn it on. So I, I get the theory, but also at the same time, it's possible to do both. No, yeah, I feel the same way. This has been such a tough, controversial decision for me because personally, if I was a college athlete, and I always put myself in their shoes, if I was a senior collegiate football player, and this was my final season, maybe ever to play football again, and I got told that I'm not going to be able to play, I would do everything in my power to ensure that I had the ability to play. I would do anything and everything possible to be able to go out there on the field with my brothers and be able to, you know, battle with them. Um, And then I look at it the other way, man, five to 10 to 15 years down the road, when you have a child and a family and you're trying to take care of others and support somebody, what if you finally find out that something along those lines of COVID was in your system all this time and you got extremely sick, which given that can happen with anything, but I'm just saying, I I don't think that we're looking at it as a long-term problem. I think we're looking at it as a short-term problem with a solution. And the problem is that it's a long-term problem with no solution, right? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Because to your point, there are like, there's a certain percentage, yes, who has passed away from the disease, which I think is so unfortunate. But there's another much bigger percentage of people who have long-term heart problems, the long-term lung problems from having it. And I think people are ignoring that percentage. Um, and I just think to your point, that's something to definitely consider long-term. I get everybody's like, trying to figure it out in the short term, but we also have to figure it out in the long term and, and at least consider that when we're making these decisions yeah exactly but i'm the first one to say when i see college football on the tv i am leaving it i'm turning the volume up and i'm sitting on the couch and enjoying it because it is one of the most favorite sports of mine to watch in my pastime yeah and we did have some back on so it was fun to watch we saw some crazy catches we saw some good competition there were some fans and crazy catches hang on let's just backtrack we saw an obj-esque catch in the first week of college football my god yeah that was pretty crazy we put it on our daily three reel over on our instagram if you want to go check it out gg talk sports oh yeah that's true good little plug so if you guys are not following along with our instagram or twitter we have a gg daily three which we put up our favorite three sports moments from the day before. So if you want to go check it out, hit up our social media and follow along, and you can see every single highlight from the day before. Well, three our highlights favorite three the day <laughs> from the yeah. day before. And the final thing for college football, I just want to kind of talk about this real quick because it's really cool to see college football players using their platforms and using their voices to try and spread a message and spread awareness to the problems that we're having right now. So Clemson and Trevor Lawrence and a bunch of other athletes put together their kind of five bullet points that they want to address in ways that they can actually make change in their communities because college football players have a lot of impact. They have a lot of pull. They have a lot of influence within their communities. And I think it's fantastic. They need to use their platforms. They need to use their voices. And so they actually put together this little bullet point. If you guys want to check it out more in depth, go check out Trevor Lawrence's Twitter page. We also retweeted it if you want to check out ours. But I'm just going to read through one of the bullet points that really stuck out to me, and I thought it was really fascinating and really cool what they were doing. So their bullet point says, On game days, we will use our platforms to raise awareness, utilizing statements on our helmets and jerseys, and playing tribute videos to recognize victims of racial injustice and share our own stories. Yeah, I like that a lot because I like a lot that they're giving tribute. That one's awesome. But I also like that they're sharing their own stories too because what I think a lot of people who like to fall in this camp of you're just entertainers, keep politics out of it, don't talk about what's going on, we are just here to watch football. What they're not realizing is a lot of these players have their own stories of similar instances where 
Yes, they've come out of it alive, thankfully, but they have still witnessed and still experienced a lot of this injustice and a lot of this unfair treatment because of the color of their skin. So they have their own stories to tell, which I think will show people even more like, look, we have just as much right to talk about this as anybody else because the same thing has happened to us and this is extremely important to us. So I think by sharing their own stories, it will give everybody an insight as to why they want to continue to talk about these topics and not just play football only. Yeah, and I think it's also just a fact of the matter is that they're people. We are all people. They have had these same issues as any other person in the world, and they have a platform to be able to bring awareness to the issues that these people are facing. So hats off to them. We're going to actually give them a little clap because, I mean, that's really cool. It's really impactful, and fingers crossed that they're able to really make this thing happen. Wear those shirts, share those messages, share those testimonials, whatever the case may be. I hope that everybody's schools, programs, the NCAA in itself backs them 100%. Yeah, I agree. So moving on, we're going to finish this whole thing off with NBA because if you guys have not been watching the NBA playoffs, well, you're just missing out on some fantastic sports in general. Yeah, you definitely are. There's been a lot of really good basketball, really intense basketball, a lot of really good storylines. It's been my favorite thing to watch so far, obviously. All right, so we're going to talk about all of the award winners when they're all finalized, but Brandon Ingram won the most improved player. Just got to give a quick shout out and then we're going to jump in everything. All right, so Steve Nash is going to the Nets. Yeah, I think this is a crazy decision. I mean, I get it, but it's just I was not expecting it whatsoever. I guess, like, maybe he has been, like, listening to proposals of being a head coach a few times over the past few years. Yeah, since, like, 2015, I believe, something like that. Okay, yeah, but I never expected him to end up with the Nets, but I guess there's a lot of buy-in by the players, there's a lot of buy-in by the organization, and so they gave him a four-year deal, which is actually, I would think, a pretty extensive time period, uh, considering this is his first head coaching job. Yeah, I'm actually... I'm shocked, and then when I actually looked at all like the background information on Steve Nash and his connection to Kyrie and KD, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, given to kind of talk about what Stephen A has been saying, there has not been many interviews for that position. And let's just kind of break it down even more specifically to what he said. There has not been that many interviewees for that position of color. Yeah. The only one that I thought or that I was able to find out was Jack Vaughn, which rightfully so, he earned it. I thought that he was potentially going to get the job. Um, but... Now, with that being said, I think Steve Nash is the right man for the job because of his background with KD and Kyrie and his background as a fantastic basketball player. If you look at his background with KD, he was with him at the Warriors. He helped develop him. KD said he was one of his biggest mentors, biggest helpies at the Warriors organization. And then if you look at Kyrie, they have a very similar play style. Kyrie yeah, shoots a lot more than Steve Nash did, yes. But in terms of a point guard who really tries to set things up, he's able to read the defenses, he's able to play kind of a two-way style. Kyrie's defense is sometimes questionable, but he's still really competitive <laughs> on the defensive side of the ball. And so I just think having somebody like Steve Nash come in, who's also a really high character, that's what you have to realize. Yeah. He's an extremely high character person, and to have him with those two kind of athletes who, don't get me wrong, they're high character, but they sometimes go off the deep end a little bit and say things that they're not supposed to or yeah, kind of do things that they're not supposed to. So I think having somebody like Steve Nash to always kind of write that ship and say, hey, look, the end goal is this. If you want this, you have to do this because yeah. I've done it. Yeah. And true. so I think that he's a good hire. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with the Nets. 
Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to see it. I think, obviously, one of uh, Stephen A's points, too, was, like, very rarely does an African-American coach come into a team that's already, like, championship caliber. So I think that was one of his call-outs, too. Like, Steve Nash has already come into this team that could very obviously and very clearly win the championship next year with the talent they already have. I would also argue on that point, though, I don't think there has been very many teams who are needing a new coach who are championship caliber. So I think this is kind of like a one-off, very unique situation where there's a team that could very clearly win the championship that also doesn't have a coach. Yeah, he also brought up the whole Ty Lue thing, which made me really kind of consider, well, do you really think Kyrie wants Ty Lue to be his coach again? I mean, just personally, I I don't know if he would. Kyrie left. Ty Lue was still at Cleveland. Everybody makes speculation about LeBron, but yeah, and the fact that Kyrie wanted his own team, but still, yeah, I think that it's a, there's a lot of interesting, obviously, pieces to this puzzle, but we're gonna see how it actually plays out next season, whenever that is, because we have no idea when that's gonna start or what it's gonna look like, but it'll be really fun to watch regardless. All right, so moving on to the NBA, and then we're gonna get into our GG, and then the topic, which is NFL. So the Nuggets and Clippers series is tied one-one right now. The Jazz and Nuggets had a crazy competitive series, and the Nuggets barely inched oh. past them. Told you. <laughs> Anyways, what do you think about this series between the Nuggets and Clippers? I was really worried game one. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, their legs are fried. They're not going to be able to get them back under them. And then they came back out, and they, they performed yeah. really well. So what do you think? They came out extremely strong in game two, and I think it very clearly kind of stunned the Clippers in that game. And so I think that the Nuggets now have a much better chance. Um, I think game three will actually be a big telltale sign of kind of which direction the series is going to go because I just think – after they both kind of beat up on each other in one game. Like, neither of those games were close. So I think what Game 3 looks like is going to say a lot about what the series will look like. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm going to leave it at that. But I will say I think the role players are going to play an impactful role yeah, in this sure. next upcoming games because I think that the role players are going to win this game for whichever team wins. So going to be really exciting to watch. Let's move on to the Heat and the Bucks. The series is 3-1. Man, what a weird kind of series this has been. So the Heat are up 3-0. The Bucks and the Heat are competing in Game 4. It's very close, back and forth. Giannis gets hurt. You think the game's over with. The Bucks pull it together, somehow go back and forth, take this thing into overtime. Yeah. Chris Middleton puts the team on his back, and now the series is 3-1. to one. Giannis has a right ankle sprain, so he probably will play Game 5. Um, but what do you think? I still think that the Heat are going to win Game 5. I don't think that the Bucks are going to really get much more out of this series just because Giannis is hurt, and he's just not going to be as strong as, you know, what we're normally used to seeing out of him. Um, I also don't think that the Heat are going to let themselves take this series any further because they should have already won it. So I think it's definitely still going to go to the Heat in five games. It's just I'm glad the Bucks at least did not get swept. I just wanted them to win one game because I just didn't want it to be a full sweep when I called them to win the whole thing. Yeah, so we got asked an interesting question a while back by Carvin It Up Podcast. He said something regarding the lines of, do you think Chris Middleton could be that number two player that could carry a team? Yeah. And I think that last night showed us that he can. It's now a matter of if he will. Clearly, he had the capabilities and the skill sets and the mindset to take over the game. But I think that he just needed Giannis to be hurt, shitty to say. But he needed Giannis to be out of the game for him to have really that, I don't know, that kind of 
spark. Yeah, it's like almost whenever it was a desperation moment, like he was able to just turn it on. And a desperation moment when there was literally nobody else to rely on except for him, he really kicked it into gear. So I think he, like you said, can do it. It's just like it comes out in the weirdest situations, clearly. Agreed. So both of us think the Heat in five. Let's move on. Lakers versus Rockets. The series is tied 1-1. The Rockets won a very close, I mean, incredibly close. Came down to the last five seconds of the game seven against the Thunder. Yeah. And now they are battling against the Lakers. How do you feel like this series has gone so far? I think that the series has actually gone in the Rockets' favor, even though it's tied now 1-1. I mean, the Rockets whooped up on the Lakers in Game 1, and then in Game 2, it was actually extremely close. So I just think the fact that the Lakers still have not blown out the Rockets is a really good sign for them, because if you look at the Portland series, yes, Portland won Game 1, but then the Lakers came back and basically smacked them. So I think by the Rockets hanging in even to Game 2 is really promising for them. Yeah, I will say, though, the one thing for Portland, Dame Dollar was hurt, so you never know what could have happened. But not in Game 2. That's true. That is true. But I will say this, then. Russell Westbrook is the X Factor for that series. If he does not show up, if he does not play to the superstar, and yes, he is a superstar, talent that he is capable of, the Rockets don't win. Period. The Rockets don't get past this, I think, in probably five or six. That's how, I mean, that's how serious I think that Westbrook needs to play, because the way that I've watched him play... He said it himself. He looks like he's just running around. It, it <laughs> yeah. really does. It looks like he's just running around chasing the ball. And sometimes you see signs of greatness where it was like, damn, that's the triple dub dude that we always love. So yeah. I hope that he can get it right. I know he can. It's just a matter of when. Hopefully it's not too late. Um, so I want to move on to the final game or the final series that we've been watching for the NBA. And that is the Raptors Celtics. I'm not going to talk about it too much because I'm still a little bit angry. It is tied 2-2. <laughs> The Celtics had a 2-0 lead, and the Raptors showed their championship caliber mindset, their championship fight, and the series is now tied 2-2. Yeah, it's tied 2-2, but I really still think the Celtics have a good chance in this one because I just think in the two games that they lost, one of them was basically a fluke and just like a miracle shot. And the next one, I just think they're not going to shoot that poorly every single game, and the Raptors are not going to shoot that amazing every single game. So I just think that... The, the cards are still aligned. Is that the saying? I don't know. The stars are still aligned is what I think it is. The stars are still aligned for the Celtics to win it. I think that maybe they were a little bit tired in the last game, but their young legs will definitely still kick into gear, and I think that they'll end up taking it in six. So I think it'll only take them two more games, um, but I still think they're going to pull it out. We need Jalen Brown. Yeah. Jalen he- Brown has looked a little shaky. A little tired, I think. A little, maybe that is. Maybe it's just a little tired. So I'm hoping that he can get his legs fresh, hoping that he can get his mind right. And go off because that's, I think he's an X factor for how far the Celtics can go. Everybody's talking about Jason Tatum, Kimball Walker. Jalen Brown's always in the discussion, but if he's playing at that top five player mentality, top five player skill set, he can take the Celtics a very far away with the assistance of Jason Tatum and Kimball Walker. Yeah. So I want to move on to our GG of the episode because, man, this is a great GG of the episode. Steph, what is the GG of the episode? Yeah, so our GG of the episode, if you are not an avid listener of the podcast, is basically a big fat L that we hand out to somebody or some organization that did something stupid or did something they shouldn't have done. So we're basically telling them, like, bad job. A lot of times we try and bring, like, comic relief to the situation. Sometimes we don't, but it's basically a big fat L. Yeah, so this one's going to go to a sole player, and that is Novak Djokovic, who is a tennis player and was just competing in the U.S. Open. So Novak Djokovic lost a point. He didn't agree with the reason that he lost the point. And as he was giving the tennis balls back to the people that were needing the tennis balls, 
He hit one back with his tennis racket, and I mean, he just beamed. Yeah. I mean, beamed the hell out of this lady. On the throat. On, uh, in the throat. Mm. And, like, she drops instantly. She couldn't breathe for a second. She was holding her throat. Long story short, Novak Djokovic got DQ'd for beaming her in the throat with a tennis ball. Yeah. No, it was not intentional. No, it was not on purpose. But, yes, he still hit her in the throat. That is something that you cannot do as a professional athlete, as a professional tennis player. You know where you're supposed to put the tennis balls. I mean, Steph, talk about it. You play tennis all your life. I mean, you know more than anybody, probably. Yeah, so there's definitely rules in the rule book, especially in the Grand Slam rule book that says you can't basically just hit tennis balls in the side of the court without any awareness or, like, basically with a disregard of the consequences of you hitting them. So that basically means that he smacked a tennis ball with his racket in the direction of people and in the direction of lines people. One of them hit one of the lines people, and the part that really, you know, took him out was the fact that it actually hurt her. So if it would have just, like, hit her in the leg and she may have been okay, then, you know, it may, maybe it wouldn't have been as drastic of a consequence, but because it actually hurt her, she couldn't breathe, she had to leave the court that really was kind of the deciding factor, I think, in him having to default the match. A lot of people say this is like a soft, quote-unquote, reaction by the U.S. Open. But in all honesty, if it's in the rule book, they can't do it. And you can't just treat him differently because he's Novak Djokovic. And obviously, he's ranked number one. You can't just have special rules for him because if it would have happened to anybody else, they would have had to default the match as well. It's in the rule book. He said himself he knows that he is not allowed to do that. Because you can literally hurt somebody. Like, you don't realize how much a tiny little ball flying fast can actually hurt. It is painful. This lady now has a bruise on her throat. So... Well, I mean, they serve the ball at 120 plus miles per hour. Yeah, so it's not like it's a slight hit. Um, so... And he didn't serve it at her neck, but I'm just saying. It was still probably still... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it is in the rule book. It is a rule. And because he broke that rule and actually hurt somebody, then he had to default the match. And it's very unfortunate. I wish he wasn't out of the tournament, but he said himself that it was not the right thing to do. He obviously did not mean to hurt somebody. I don't think anybody is accusing him of that. But it's just sad that he's now out of the tournament. And he was in a race for history with Nadal and with Federer for the most Grand Slams. And now, by just making a simple mistake and not following the rules, he's now out of contention, at least in this tournament. Exactly. So GG goes out to Novak Djokovic, and the fact of the matter is I really hope that woman's okay. She is okay, but I'm just hoping that she heals quickly because I can only imagine how it had to feel getting hit in the neck, well, throat, with yeah. a tennis ball. Yeah. So, all right, guys, we're going to move on to our topic of the episode, and that is just all things NFL because the NFL is returning on Thursday for a fantastic game between two of the highest young-paid quarterbacks in the league, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Cannot too. wait. They're actually two of Steph's favorite teams, so it's a little I know. weird. But it is tough that they are two of my favorite teams, but I think it's going to be an extremely entertaining first game of the season. I just can't believe we are already to football season. Like, we have talked about this for months over the summer about what's going to happen, and then here we are. I know. So we're finally through OTAs. We're finally through camp. We're finally through film sessions, whatever you want to call it, walkthroughs, everything and anything that entails pre football. We have gone through it. We are at the stage where football is here, football is ready to be played, and we cannot wait. So we're just going to kind of talk about some of the big off-season contracts and extensions and all that stuff, and then we're going to discuss a little bit of the off-season moves, some of the best, some of the worst, a couple of favorites that we want to win, and then obviously who we think is going to succeed in this whole coaching carousel that took place. Yeah. So Joe Mixon just signed a big contract with the Bengals. 
Leonard Fournette just signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yannick Naganu is gone as well, with, and he is now with the Vikings. We got Adrian Peterson, who is no longer with Washington. He's on Detroit. The Titans signed Goskowski and Jadavion Clowney. Trey White signed a massive deal with the Bills. Deshaun Watson signed a massive, I mean, massive extension with the Texans. Keenan Allen signed another huge extension with the Chargers. There's been a lot more. Logan Ryan, you can go down the list, but those were just some of the names that we want to kind of throw in this list of offseason moves and transactions. So, Steph, what do you think, in your opinion, I think I can probably guess it, is your favorite offseason move? So, for one, I think a lot of those moves literally just happened in the last few weeks. So, yes, a ton happened over the course of the summer, but that was like just a jam-packed last few days, few weeks. That is true. (laughs) um, In the NFL. So, a ton has been happening. My favorite, so it's actually two, like... I actually don't think that Deshaun Watson one is my favorite because I think he 100% deserves the money, deserves the contract. I don't know if I'm pumped that he's staying with the Texans just because of the way that, I mean, Bill O'Brien kind of derailed the offense there. I'm not sure I'm pumped that he's going to stay there unless they can bring him in some really good weapons to support him. So we'll see how that goes. I am extremely happy for him, though, and it's much deserved. Um, I think one of my favorites is actually our hometown team. I think the Titans moves are actually some of my favorite ones just because they're picking up these key little players. Not little. I mean, Jadavion Clowney. I was about to say Jadavion Clowney, a big man. (laughs) But these, like, you know, players who, yes, he went to a one-year deal or the Goskowski move. I think they're picking up these random players who are going to make actually massive impacts on their team. I think that they know that last season – was not how it's going to be again this season. I don't think they're going to have that same sort of luck of everything just working out perfectly. So they've done a good job of bringing in a lot of good support pieces. So I think that's the most exciting to me. Yeah, that's a good call. Because if you look at it, the Titans had a really bad kicking competition and kind of kicking carousel last year. So if they can have a a seasoned vet as Guskowski, and if he's healthy, he's got to be healthy and he's got to be able to kick the ball the way that he was kicking the ball. If he's injured or if he's still a little bit iffy, then I look at that move and I'm like, man, you should, probably should have gone with somebody younger and kind of developed them. But the Javion Clowney pickup is fantastic. Yeah, that's exciting. You need somebody like that in the division that you're in and the teams that you're going to be playing. So to bring Clowney in is a fantastic move. Really hats off to Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans staff yeah. to be able to maneuver some pieces around, offer him the money that he wants, and then also be able to develop a relationship because Clowney's going there for two reasons. One, money. Two, legacy. And the fact of the matter is the Tennessee Titans spoke to that legacy part the most probably with him. So really exciting stuff. I think my personal favorite offseason move has to go to the Bills. Yeah. I love Trey White as a corner. You cannot find a better, maybe not better. It's hard to find a lockdown corner in the NFL that can night in, night out, produce zero catches and zero touchdowns against you because that's what he does. He is a lockup corner in the league and in a league where skill players are so important. And the fact of the matter is that he is a skill player on the other side of the ball that can shut you down. And so I really love that move. Not to mention he signed, I think, like a three-year deal, which means that he's only going to be like 28. And he's definitely going to secure the bag for another massive deal after that. So really cool stuff from him, kind of setting that new bar for cornerbacks in the league. Yeah, I agree. That's going to be an exciting move. We also really like the Bills, so I'm excited to see how that play, plays out for them in general. Exactly. So worst offseason move, I'll answer this one. I think it's the Jaguars. I think what they're doing with that program or organization in general is terrible. I don't really know what Doug Marone is thinking. I, well, I can tell you he's probably tanking for Trevor Lawrence. But I just am very baffled. The fact of the matter is you let Leonard Fournette go. Okay, I get that. You don't want him on your team anymore. I can understand yeah. that. That's fine. 
but then you have to go publicly say something about him? Yeah. Like, that just cool. shows me your coaching tactics, your coaching leadership. You're just, your leadership style in general is weak. Yeah. And so, I don't know, that just kind of shed me the wrong way or pushed me the wrong way on that whole thing. And then the way that Yannick Nagano handled this whole entire situation with the Jags, I mean, that's another eye-opening situation that makes you kind of scratch your head at that organization and kind of how they handled their players. So, yeah. I don't know. I think that's personally probably one of my worst off-season moves or worst off-season teams, I guess. Yeah. Um, but do you have one that you want to add in? I've already talked about it multiple times. The Texans not pleased, so I won't go into my rant again, but I still stand by that. Okay, so let's talk about a few teams that are your favorites to win. I know that we've kind of had this discussion a little bit on the podcast, but now that all of these moves, all yeah. of these new extensions have kind of been finalized, who do you think? Obviously, we have the Chiefs. So don't put them into that mix. If you're going to say anybody besides like the Chiefs and maybe the Buccaneers, who are you going to throw in there? Well, for one, I don't think the Buccaneers can win it. That's just my opinion. I don't think that they'll be Super Bowl champions. Um, But I do think like another team who is quietly still building back up is the Seahawks. So I think that they have just like quietly stayed up there in their corner. I think they still have a lot of talent on their team and they've like quietly acquired some pieces as well. So I think that they still have a good chance um, uh, because you're also not competing against like the Ravens of the world. Like those aren't in your conference. So I just think that they have a good chance of just kind of sliding through under the radar um, and still making some really tough competition for whoever they come up against. I will say though, the Seahawks have to take on like the 49ers, the Saints. Yeah, but I mean, the 49ers are, I think, a little less of a team than they were last year. What about the Bucks? What about the Bucks? They got to take on the Bucks. Yeah, but also the Bucks. Like, to, I already said it. I think there's going to be a lot of hype around the Bucks, but I think it's going to be harder to put all those pieces together than I think people think it is. True. So no, I agree. I think there's a lot of learning curves that are going to have to take place with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think if I'm just going to throw a team in there to be really successful that maybe a lot of people aren't thinking is going to be successful, I think I might stick with the Bills. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if you're going to stick with the same team you just mentioned. I I think I will. I know that's the lame answer because I'm not really given much diversity on the answers, but (laughs) I think that I'm going to stick with the Bills because what they're building. The fact of the matter is, if you look at the Bills from the top to the bottom, they're slowly building a fantastic organization. Sean McDermott has done an amazing job bringing in young talent and developing that young talent. I think that they have a very good, explosive, growing offense, especially with the addition of Stefan Diggs. And then, I mean, their defense speaks for itself. Yeah. They have one of the best defenses right now in the league. And so I think that if the Bills can put all three phases of the game together and play it the right way, I think they could be really dangerous this year. Yeah, I can see that too. I think that's a very interesting pick. And obviously these are our picks outside of like some of the more um, like given answers of who could definitely be in contention. Because to your point, we obviously think the Chiefs could possibly do it again. We obviously think that the Ravens are extremely talented. Um, the Tampa lot- Bay Bucks, I know that you yeah. said, have a lot of growing pains. But if you look at just the roster, I mean, people are definitely favoring them to win it all. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that are obvious answers for who's going to succeed this season. But these are some of the kind of one-off ones that maybe aren't garnering as much attention. How we feel on this given day for a yes. sleeper to win the uh, Super Bowl. But anyways, I want to move on and finish this whole conversation up with the coaching changes that took place. So we have Ron Rivera now taking over as the Washington football team head coach. Mike McCarthy is the Dallas Cowboys head coach. Matt Rule is the Carolina Panthers head coach. And then you got Kevin Stefanski over at the Browns and Joe Judge with the New York Giants. So out of those coaches, who do you think will go the farthest? 
go the farthest. Oh, that's an interesting answer or interesting question because it's obviously also reliant upon the talent that the team has. Exactly. So if I'm going to answer who I think is going to go the furthest, oof, I might say the Cowboys just because of how much talent they have. Um, I, my answer for which coach will be the most successful is actually different than which team will go the furthest. But you can answer your most, or you can answer your who's going to go the furthest first. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue with the Mike McCarthy based on the talent that he has. But I will say, if Kevin Stefanski, yeah, that's my other one, can write the ship. I don't think it's going to be this year. I think it's going to be a few years. But he is slowly turning the ship around and making it the right way that it's supposed to be. Watch out for them. Yeah, I definitely think that if you were to ask me which coach is going to be most successful versus which team is going to go the furthest. Okay, hang on. In three to five years, which head coach is still with the team that they are on right now? Oh, I think that's actually going to be a lot of them. I think that uh, Ron Rivera will probably still be with Washington. Um, I think Stefanski will likely still be with the Browns because even if he has some success, they're not going to want to keep turning over their coach every single season. So I think he'll still be there. And I think Mike McCarthy might be there too, depending on if they're successful or not, because we all know Jerry Jones is now basically expecting them to win the Super Bowl. So I think those three will definitely be there. The Giants head coach I'm less sold on, and the Panthers head coach I'm less sold on as well. See, I'm more sold on Joe Judge and Kevin Stefanski and Ron Rivera than I am Mike McCarthy and Matt Rule. But yeah. only because I feel like Joe Judge, he came over from New England. I feel like they're not going to just cut him. Yeah. I feel like he probably came over and was like, look, give me a few years. Let me show you what I can do. And then I also feel like for the Stefanski purpose, yeah, they're not going to get rid of another head coach at this point. I feel like Baker would be the one to go, not Stefanski. And then Ron Rivera, I mean, he... He I definitely mean, won't yeah. get fired. He's I don't got a think. track record of success for sure. So. And they also brought him in to build the program, not just be there for a Super Bowl championship like the Dallas Cowboys. That's kind of why I lean towards the McCarthy yeah, potentially. Um, but all right, our GG pick, we only have one. We're slowly going to get back into it. We told yeah. you guys this, but Chiefs versus Texans, Thursday night, September 10th, 7.20 p.m. Central Standard. Yep. Who's going to win? Oh, so I'm still going to go with the good old Chiefs because I just think they just got their rings. They're pumped up. They're excited for the season. I think that the Texans are obviously feeling the same way. Deshaun just got his contract. They're feeling pumped up too. But I'm still going to pick the Chiefs just because so much has changed on the Texans' offense that I think it's going to be – it's going to take a second for them to actually, like, adjust in game play and game time, you know, um, plays and how it actually pans out. So I think because of that adjustment period that's not going to exist for the Chiefs, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are going to take this W, but maybe not for the reasons that you said. The only reason that I think is because if you look at the Chiefs roster, they've all played together for a couple, for like a year. A lot of their starters were on the Super Bowl championship team. They know the schemes, they know the plays, they know the checks, they know the audibles. The Texans are kind of different. They're in a rebuilding stage. Not really rebuilding, but they've brought in a lot of new pieces for this year. I think the learning curve for the Texans has been a lot more challenging than the learning curve for the new Chiefs players. So I think that the Chiefs will have a lot easier time running their plays, getting into their schemes, kind of understanding what plays to run at what times. And I think the Texans might, you might see some learning curves and some young rookie mistakes or some young, you know, not a lot of experienced mistakes. Yeah, I definitely agree. So let us know over on GG Talk Sports who you pick in this NFL game, our first GG pick of the season. And then make sure you're staying tuned for a Thursday episode because that's when our full-blown GG picks 
we'll be back up and running for all of the weekend games. So stay tuned. Exactly. And like we always say, thank you guys so much for whoever's on the front lines doing their part during this crazy time of ours. We hope everybody's staying safe. And like we always say as well, have a great morning, have a great afternoon, or have a great evening. Whatever time it is for you guys, we hope you're doing well. And don't forget to hit us up if you guys want a little daily fix of a guy on a girl talk sports on social media. We have a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, GG Talk Sports.